0: The number of responsibilities and opportunities involved when starting a business or becoming a leader within an organization can overwhelm the best of us. It certainly overwhelmed David and Matthew. Join the two hosts as they interview successful leaders about their journey to leadership, including victories, failures, and realizations. This is Like It's Your Job, a podcast from TSG Publishing.
1: Good morning everybody, and welcome to another episode of Like It's Your Job, a podcast for entrepreneurs. I'm one of your hosts, David Shields. I'm your other host, Matt Shields. Today we have a guest, one that I know Matt and I are both really excited about, Chris McCauley. He's the CEO for North America of Venlo Investments. In 2014, Chris co-founded a venture capital-backed media tech company, which drove operational efficiencies within global media agencies. In 2018, his company, ADVI, signed a global deal with Microsoft, and Chris was invited to serve on Microsoft's Global Partner Advisory Council. Very cool. After a successful exit from his company in 2020, Chris joined the Venlo team to help drive operational efficiency and global expansion. Morning, Chris. Good morning. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, no problem. Glad you're here. To continue on with our entrepreneurship theme, today we're talking about making the jump from founder to exit to principal. And a little bit about that second or third or whatever. It's something about that subsequent career. And I know Chris, you're well-versed in that journey and have a lot to say about
0: it. Yeah, look, it's definitely a big shift going from being the founder, working with the investors, to then jumping onto the other side of the fence and having the privilege to kind of work with lots of different different founders. A little bit about my background. I kind of came up through the ranks, working with a lot of tech startups as the startup scene was evolving in, in Australia. And was really working with a lot of them from a sales and marketing perspective. And this has gone back into, you know, uh, 2010, 2011. And yeah, I was working for an advertising agency for a few years running the sales team. And where I got my start with my company, you know, i have been working with a bunch of different founders on on their companies and I wanted to start my own. And we reached this pain point where I, I was frustrated because at an agency that I worked at, you know, the director and the owner would bring our sales guys into the boardroom every every month or every quarter and say, we've got all these clients that are highly unprofitable. You guys aren't charging enough money. And when we started diving into it, we realized, well, it wasn't actually the fact that we weren't charging enough money. It's our process was so broken. You know, the way we were communicating across the business was, you know, with emails, spreadsheets, smoke signals and carrier pigeon. Well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and so we figured if we could fix that problem, then we could actually drive operational efficiencies and increase the profitability of these clients. And that was really kind of the genesis moment. And so I had a co-founder who was sitting on the other side uh, within the advertising agency on the actual media side across radio and out of home. And, and he had experienced the frustration of dealing with agencies. And, and so we, we teamed up and two, two non-tech guys building a, a tech company, what could possibly go wrong? So, so we we built a technical team around us, raising venture capital, and I won't say it was by any stretch easy, but it, it put us in a position where you know we were able to grow the business. I'm, I moved over to New York in twenty eighteen to set up our office over there. To just living on a plane, commuting back from Australia to New York each month, and yes, yeah, so we set that business up. We we signed a major deal with Microsoft because we were at Techstat was built on their platform, and they were really looking at looking for partners to help drive, you know, young entrepreneurs and tech companies onto their platform. And, and so we were fortunate enough to be, you know, one of the poster childs after winning a, a global award between us and Adobe as this kind of little startup from Brisbane. And yeah, so that, that kind of put us on a, a different trajectory. And so as it was kind of built out the business after a while, I realized, you know, enterprise software really wasn't my thing. And yeah, I started looking at, well, what, what are our exit opportunities? And, you know, we were seven years into it. And yeah, when the pandemic, everything went to lockdown on the East Coast and globally. And yeah, we started looking at exit options for that. And I transitioned out of the business in September 2020 and had an exit out of, out of the business. And yeah, didn't want to stay on the East Coast. And I was looking at all my different options. And one of the, the ones that really piqued my interest was with Venlo and Ty Hermans, who owns Venlo Group, I've known for almost 11 years. And he was in Dallas at the time looking at setting up North American headquarters and building some factories. And yeah, just before the lockdown, he got the phone call from the Prime Minister of Australia saying, we need you back here to start spin up manufacturing for PPE masks because that Australia was just about to cut off the, the ties to China. And so he went back and gave me a buzz and said, you know, how's your company going? I need someone to run North America for us. And it was just perfect timing. And Ty and I have known each other for a long time. And we've always talked about working together. And so here I am.
2: From media agencies to enterprise software to, you know, product manufacturing and operational efficiency, you have quite a diversified career. So that's really really, really excited to to jump into it, <laughs> harvest your your lessons learned as much as we can in a thirty or forty five minute episode. Really excited to talk to you. And it's just been great Absolutely. getting to know you. So I'm glad you chose Texas as your as your kind of home base moving forward. It's just a blessing in disguise, right? At the
0: end Absolutely. The team, right? I, I love living in Texas.
2: <laughs> it's probably close to Australia, I imagine, in uh, in weather and culture.
0: Just well yeah, I mean. Correct exactly so we're in dallas dallas is very similar to to brisbane in australia where i'm from culturally weather wise how everything's kind of spread out i was saying someone the other day you know the big difference i've seen is everyone drives a truck and has a big gun collection here <laughs> <laughs> yeah
2: you don't you don't get either one of those really in australia maybe the truck no, they, more like the big no. <laughs> yeah
1: very
2: cool well like i said really really been good to meet you so excited to explore this so Gonna gonna Absolutely. kick off the uh, the meat and potatoes of the episode here with the quote. This is the first section that we really kind of dive deep with our guests. This is a quote that you provided earlier this week, and that is leadership is the art of harnessing human energy to create change, to make a difference, and to get results. And that's by Craig Rochelle. So if you wouldn't mind exploring a little bit about, you know, why you chose it, why it's impactful for you, how it affects your everyday.
0: Yeah, so, I, you know, I've, I've served in leadership roles for, for years, and the thing that I have learnt about leadership is it's 100% about people. You can have the the best systems, processes, products, anything, but if you don't have a team that's fired up and that are led in a way that, uh, you know, things are clearly communicated, it just can be a recipe for disaster. And so one of the things that I've, I've worked hard on learning throughout the years is How do we harness the energy of people to empower them rather than kind of control them? And so that's been a big lesson for me uh, over the last decade or so. And that really kind of applies to all parts of what we're doing today. Yeah. You know, I was a
2: consultant for many years and even as a, you know, I was never a manager, right. But I always felt about half my job was managing people, right. The other members of the team managing up to the managers, the partners on the project, the clients, you know, there is a level of people management that goes into a, basically every business, right. There might be some, yeah. some that don't exist there, but it is very key to harness the power of human energy, human capital, whatever you want to call it, right. Bring the resources to bear that are smart
0: people, right? All of us are better than some of us. Yeah, exactly. And, and so when we, we look to hire people, the first thing we look at is how do we unlock, you know, what are the things that people are passionate about? How do we get them excited about, you know, what they're doing, what we're doing, and what can we do to basically remove the roadblocks in what they do and how they perform so that we can both kind of achieve success?
2: And it's not even necessarily about monetary incentives, right? There's a cultural component to it. There's a work-life balance component to it. There's a fulfillment in the type of work that's being done and and the impact that you're having, be it for clients or and consumers or whatever it may be, depending on the business, right?
0: That's exactly right. You know, we, we find that employees. Uh, some employees, you know, want to make a social impact, which ties into a lot of the things we do at Venlo around sustainability and sustainable manufacturing. Some people are, are driven by you know wanting more cash, and and there's nothing wrong with that. Others, to your point, you know, want to want to work up the the, the call the corporate ladder and and you know elevate their their position, their title, their influence. And so that, that's one of the very key things that we look at very early on with hiring any any employees and partnering with with people it's like where do you want to be like what what will make you get up in the morning pumped to be here and bring in value and and then from there it's well how do we and fit that into what we're doing and then how do we actually empower that
1: pulling from what does motivate somebody How much of that is saying, you know, at the end of the day, it's great that that you have this motivation, but we also need that directed and aligned with the company's goal and direction. There's got to be some some reciprocity, right? Some feedback between, you know, a team really enjoys executing, right? But we also have a goal and a plan and we have somewhere we want to be in 12, 24, you know, 60 months and aligning that. What's that process like
0: in your experience? Well, it's kind of different by person, kind of depending on where they're at in their career, where they're at in their interests, you know, considering family and, you know, all all those kind of driving factors for them. But to your point, you need to you need to align it with with what we're doing. So an example of that would be uh, when I was starting my, my company, we absolutely believed that we were going to be a you know global business and we we're going to grow very quickly, and we we're very serious about building a global a global company, and so we looked around to find the perfect CTO and you know, we, we looked across Australia, we interviewed dozens of very qualified people, but they either weren't a technology fit or they weren't a a culture fit across the business. We ended up settling on a guy out of London and he had exited out of a startup previously as a CTO and then uh, joined a very large company to run their tech division. And we brought Relic had him and his family over to Australia to be our technology officer. But you know, while you can have the best interviews up front we, we learned very quickly that there was a misalignment in terms of where he wanted to go and where we wanted to kind of take the business and i remember the moment sitting there with my co-founder and saying we've just spent so much money getting this guy here he was on a high salary he get equity in the business and now we've got to go to our investors and our board and say he's not the guy and so you know, sometimes it it is not a fit, and and you kind of have to act on that. But other times, it's it's really a matter of we know what we're trying to do as as Benlo across our business, our group of companies that we own. We know where we're where we're trying to go, and so what we do when we look for hires now is like in the back of our mind, we know what we're doing, we know where we're going. How can we best empower someone to bring out their strengths and fit into that? into that slot in a way that they're going to feel empowered. But, you know, we can make sure that we can keep everything moving in the right direction. Yeah. So, you know, starting
1: starting something from scratch is, is really hard. Growing something from scratch is also really hard. And exiting is also really hard. All of it have its kind of unique challenges. That's one of the themes that we try yeah. to talk about in our, in this podcast is the, the growth to the exit part. I mean, every phase of that, entrepreneur kind of kind of life cycle, just in general. You told us a little bit about Advi and a little bit about the product and what you guys did, but what are some of the lessons you learned from that startup to growth to exit process? Uh, one
0: of the big lessons, which we didn't know at the time, in the early days, I think we raised capital too early before we had really validated the problem that we were solving. And Don't uh, hear that one we, very
2: often. Yeah, you really do yeah, really, <laughs> Usually at, people want to go as quickly as possible on the money side.
0: Correct. But... You know, that whole ready, fire, aim thing works sometimes unless you're aiming in the wrong direction. And so, you know, we we started with this assumption of, of the problem that we were solving, literally off an idea. We raised a uh, first little round of $100,000 for 10% of the business, and someone backed us at an idea. He was a wealthy businessman who built the world's largest Salesforce services company, starting working with Mark Benioff from Salesforce when Salesforce had like 20 staff. Wow. And... And was advising kind of Mark on, on how to how to build a global SaaS business. So anyway, I met him through a family friend, and he he said you know literally within the first conversation to cash in the bank was 10 days, and and then he he had a team of developers uh, in the Philippines for for his services company. He pulled a few of them off, and he's like you're you're now working for these guys, and so it happened in such a short period. We were still working full time in our day jobs, and it was like all right, we got devs now, we're building, and we hadn't really gone to market to validate how we could best solve this problem. And so that took us down a path of about 12, 12 to 14 months or so where, you know, we built out this prototype and we went out and met with customers and some of them it genuinely freaked them out that we were trying to automate, you know, their jobs. We I remember going sitting with the CEO of a big radio network in Australia and had said, look, you know, this is how we're going to drive efficiency across your business, automate this thing and, it, you know, it's basically going to remove the need of the 50 people you've got in the next room that are sitting on the phones all day negotiating rates and and everything and they said well we can't just fire them and you know on a friday and adopt your software on the monday and it was at that point where we took a real step back and said well are we too ahead of the problem are we you know we know the industry is moving towards automation and and driving huge inefficiencies and to give you an idea of the advertising world there's been a lot of consolidation amongst major agency holding groups so WPP they're one of our customers across several countries and you know they've got about 200,000 employees 4,000 offices and they book a third of the world's advertising so major major business but because they grow through acquisitions there's huge inefficiencies as they're just rolling companies in and not streamlining all of that process and so that I mean that's what created a business opportunity for us but we we had that moment where we said all right well if we take a step back, we know the industry is moving towards automation. What are the tools we can deliver today that can actually help towards that process rather than trying to just automate everyone's jobs? And and so with that, as I said, we were still working full time. We spoke to our investor and said, look, we think we know what we need to do now, but you know we're still working full time in our jobs. And so he he flew out to, to Brisbane to meet with us. He lived overseas and and we, we sat down over dinner one night and what we didn't realize was that was the week that he sold his company for about 400 million dollars and had received the cash uh, for it that week and so over dinner he said all right how much money do you need and i mean literally i made up a number on the spot so we need seven hundred thousand dollars. he said okay and he, and he said all right well are you guys still working in your jobs? we like, yeah, yeah, uh, but we want to leave. He's like, all right, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to be in Hong Kong tomorrow morning. When I land, if I haven't received confirmation that you've quit your jobs and walked out of it, you're not getting the money. And awesome. so my, my business partner and I, the next morning went straight in, quit our jobs, walked out, and, and went to the nearest co-working space. And it was literally a, you know, a piece of paper with our logo written on it, a whiteboard. <laughs> and yeah, we sat there. And then very shortly after... We refreshed the bank and the money was in there it was it was
1: crazy that's awesome man thank you for sharing those stories having the opportunity to work with and talk and interview and have these discussions with a lot of entrepreneur entrepreneurs there's there's many different themes that come back over and over again that i've kind of you know that i picked up on in your discussion And, you know, a couple of them are, there's always a bigger in and out period, right? Where you don't know where you're going to end up. You don't, you have an idea, but it may not be fully fleshed out the way that actual, like you said, market validation, right? Going into being shaped by kind of the randomness that going out to market and discussions, customers and potential users kind of gets you, right? And the other thing that I just heard that I love, it comes up in every single one of our discussions is a little bit of luck, right place, (laughs) right time, right? But- But the counter, the counter to that idea of, of luck is the only reason that most entrepreneurs, and I kind of heard this in your discussion, are here is they, they capitalized on it, right? They identified it, they looked at it, and they jumped. And that's a really, you know, there's some courage mixed with that luck. And so I appreciate
0: you sharing that because that's a great story. <laughs> it's all good. But I, I think that the takeaway from that was that, you know, if we had spent a bit more time talking to people before... You know, we we got off the off the ground. I think we would have saved a lot of time and, and to be honest, a lot of cash as well. So, yeah, our, our story is a little bit unique. Most people have their you know product types and market and and you know have traction and everything like that. Our journey was a little bit different, which ultimately worked out. But yeah, I, I think we gave away a little bit more equity than we than we should have or wanted to in the early piece. But yeah, it was really about the the speed to market that was uh, the big lesson for us.
2: Well, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Had you not taken that initial hundred k for ten percent, you may have just kept going and grabbing beers or drinks or dinner or breakfast with your business partner and talked about yeah. the idea and never made progress. And you know, it's it's yeah, I mean, That's to know exactly what we're right. In, right?
0: That's exactly right.
2: So you you founded the company. You had a, a little bit of a pivot, right? We're able to successfully capitalize on the pivot, and then obviously had a successful exit. Now you're in. Now you're working for a, a product owner, right? You know, you're out of software, you're out of media, you know, I mean, Venlo does a lot of media itself, but you're out of only media, right? And you're in a lot of tangible products. Now, how was that transition from Advi to, to Venlo Ben? right? I mean, you, you're now a, a capital allocator or a capital owner. I'm not sure how you guys talk about yourselves internally, right? But you have a diverse portfolio of products. And you're, you're working across multiple different lines of business, right? So just curious about how that, that transition's gone, what you notice has been different between you know being a founder and being a, a
0: CEO of a larger organization. Good question. So look, I mean, the biggest glaring difference is moving away from software. To spin up a thousand customers, you just need a thousand emails and uh, <laughs> us- usernames. Whereas, you know, we, we've got a, a pool company that we own to sell a thousand pools, the infrastructure. Required to produce a thousand concrete swimming pools that weigh twenty six thousand pounds, cranes, trucks, shipping, all the logistics, warehouse—like it, it's of just a different assets. animal. Yeah, yeah, okay. correct. And that, that was actually one of the, the big things that drew me mm-hmm. to Van Not only had Ty, uh, the owner, assembled an amazing team, but it's a space I hadn't I hadn't dealt with, you know, logistics and all of those kind of physical products. And so it was a bit of background. Venlo, we're a global investment group. We own a portfolio of companies that we've either started or acquired over the last sixteen odd years. So Venlo is we're a fairly new group in the sense that you know it was it was a group of companies that that Thai owned in Australia. We own Australia's largest plastic manufacturing facility, and some of our brands have been spin-offs out of that. So in, in our in our factory, you know they produce twenty two thousand SKUs and pop out hundreds of millions of plastic pieces of across all industries from space to consumer goods to construction, automotive, you name it. And so over the years, the team then I kind of identified market opportunities and we would launch products that would then turn into brands. We'd wrap a management team around it and then kind of grow that business, knowing that we've got a lot of deep relationships into all of the big box retailers and yeah, a lot of the big distribution companies as well. And so today... You know, we've grown pretty significantly over the last 12 months. When I joined, I believe there was about 13 people in Venlo and and across a company we're at about 150-odd employees. Wow. We're over 250 now. We've got 70 people at a Venlo level. And, uh, and then That's we'll awesome. probably double double that in the next 12 months. So, yeah, things have kind of moved fairly quickly. So some of our own companies, I mentioned Plungy, which is our pool company. So we do prefabricated concrete swimming pools. And so instead of building a concrete pool in someone's backyard over four or five months, uh, we prefab it in a factory and deliver a complete pool on site. That business has changed the game for the pool industry. We, we just announced yesterday that we have just, in, a, in our Australian business, the company's four years old, and we've just eclipsed the largest pool builder in Australia that does three 3,000 pools a year. It oh, took wow. them 40 years to get to that spot, and we did it in just over three and a half years.
2: Yeah, Chris, I've, I've never plugged a product on our podcast before, but I can say Plungy is one of the coolest products I've <laughs> ever seen. The ability to just pool. D- dig a hole yeah. in the ground, lay a foundation, and then have a high-end pool installed that was prefab somewhere else is so genius. It's one of those things, why didn't I think of that, right? Because yeah. install cost is down, the cost to time to get it is down. I mean, it's no more $50,000 pools, right?
0: You can get it done for, for a lot cheaper than that. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, average install time is about seven days. That's so, insane. yeah, look, we're, we're, <laughs> we're on we're on track to be the largest full company in the world, probably in the next 12 to 24 months. We're definitely the fastest growing. And so that's that's super exciting. We've also got, a, you know, a four-wheel driving accessories brand called Tread. We've got a construction brand called Build Tough. We've got a nutraceuticals brand that we developed during COVID to actually tackle COVID called Immuni. That's probably our second fastest growing company at the moment. And then we've got engineering firms, we've got manufacturing facility, we've just acquired another recycling plants to increase our access to, to recycle materials. And, and so we, we've got a bunch of portfolios. And, and so when I joined the group a little over 12 months ago, it was really with the goal to kind of take us from, you know, circa 100 or so million dollars a year in, in, in revenue. And the goal is to grow that to about a billion in turnover in the next four years through some fairly ag- aggressive acquisitions.
1: Yeah.
0: And... So really a lot of our focus behind the scenes is how do we build the operational machine? And so we've got a bunch of companies, there's 10 companies in total. How do we centralize, you know, logistics, warehousing, legal, HR, finance systems, all of that infrastructure so that we can build the business machine and then effectively go on an acquisition tear Mm -hmm. and, and just start rolling companies into the fold. And that's when we'll see that exponential growth. Well, Dallas
2: is a, is a great place to be a hub for the U.S. market, right? Because it's centrally located.
0: That's exactly right.
1: Totally. yeah. And, you know, Chris, it's really hard to build those kind of side services companies without a goal, right? Without an end goal, right? It's really hard to do it for disparate industries like a, a trucking company and a restaurant company, right? I mean, you know, it's very hard to find a platform to find the accounting and financial and the HR and the legal and the IT expertise that has the specialization necessary to dive into two very operationally complex industries like that. And everybody's heard of, you know, organizations like Y Combinator and Capital Factory that are software and VC focused, idea focused incubators. And I've seen companies focused on publishing aggregators, mm-hmm. right? And what you guys are doing, you're aggregating products. The only only company I've heard of that has the scale and the expertise to aggregate physical product manufacture. Because when you think about software, like you said, that's not a thing you can touch and hold that you use, right? That you physically manipulate. And it's, a, and it's the same thing with content, right? you know, books and, you know, ebooks and novels and, you know, things like that. That's not something that, I mean, you can't hold physical books, but obviously everybody reads everything online right now. And you're yeah. the only company that has built a plan, you know, an end goal in mind around the physical infrastructure of manufacture around plastic. And that's a really cool idea that makes you incredibly unique. Building a whole vertical, a shared service product focused, incubator is is something that i mean that's a that's a moat that nobody else has there's just nobody that has the ability to do that so tell us a little bit about obviously you have some kind of end goal on a number of different products and there may be some give and take right where some of that end goal like you said is just starting with an idea Right, that says, hey, we want to go in this direction without a lot of concreteness, but obviously you have something in mind, right? a destination in mind. Tell us about that process and how you're contributing to Venlo Venlo's goals now, working backwards to make sure that operationally you can get there. Good question.
0: So I guess a lot of it has really built a lot of structure around what we're trying to do in, over the last 12 months. And, you know, we, we started with the day one, I told I told Ty, so I'm gonna make you a billionaire in the next four years. But then, you know, it's, it's one thing to say that, what's the, what's the path? And so for us, we have taken an approach where, you know, we, we've looked at where, where is the industry going? What are the big trends that are happening across the corporate world when it comes to products and manufacturing? You know, at our core, we specialize in advanced manufacturing. And I would say we're one of the world leaders in advanced manufacturing. If you were to take a tour of our, one of our factories, it's your robots everywhere. A lot of it's fully automated. And so we're definitely very, very much at the forefront of that. But then looking at, you know, a big shift that's happening, you know, talk about the plastics industry, for example. There's a huge focus on recyclability and circularity. So so one of the things that we have now built into everything that we do, every product that we design and develop has to have an end-of-life function to it. And, and so, you know, it has to have a recycle program attached to it so that we will ensure that not a single product that we ever make will end up in landfill. So there's, there's kind of environmental and sustainability considerations to that. But then on the commercial side of things, you know, we, we kind of have a, have a goal of where we wanna be. We'll, we'll look to either, uh, either list or sell the group in the next four or five years or so. And so if we walk backwards from where we want to be to where we are today, there's big infrastructure considerations. You know, there's there's logistics. There's where do we have to put uh, footprints around the world? How do we finance what we're doing? How do we team up with the right companies and partners? What type of companies do we look at launching or acquiring uh, to, to either support our internal infrastructure or drive revenue? And then a a big consideration in the advanced manufacturing space is access to talent. You know, there's a huge shortage of, of talent. And so a huge initiative that we have launched and we actually start breaking ground early next year on it. We're going to be building the world leading advanced manufacturing center. It's called AMC. It's in Brisbane. And we were approached by a university in Australia that said, look, you know, we recognise there's a skill shortage and we are looking to build a new university campus that has a focus on advanced manufacturing, mechatronics and mechanical engineering. Would you be interested in partnering with us? And so that kind of snowballed a conversation to, would you be interested in actually relocating your factory onto our campus? And then you know we, we got involved and brought in some some, uh, some really interesting partners across data centres. Airbus is now involved. We've got some huge corporates engaged in the program. And what we uh, break ground on early early next year is a huge campus which will become our new Venla headquarters. We have a, a new factory which will be about two and a half times the size of what we have today. And. It's unbelievable. Then we have, there's actually, a, I'll, I'll send you some pictures afterwards. It's a, we've got a runway built into the roof because there's a company that's working on autonomous planes for, for human travel. So, you know, autonomous taxis. And so their, their global R and D center is going to be in our in our building. Not,
2: not to poo poo the idea, but I feel like a landing strip on the roof might not be a good idea because
0: if they're just a few feet short, then you're going to have some major <laughs> problems. When you see what this is, it will blow your mind. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited to look at it. And, and so really what, what it comes down to is, is universities are looking to, to train up more students and, uh, and train up more kind of people with a technical focus to help with the job market. The challenge that a lot of universities have all across the world is there's a lot of theory involved. So while they might be working on projects that are you know, technically very, very sound or, or advanced, It lacks that industry uh, focus. And so what we're doing is we're bringing in our customers, our network, as well as about 100 other companies we're we're inviting into this, where it'll be 100% industry-focused problems. The students will actually work in the factories, working on real-world products that we're shipping to, you know, we ship to about 127 countries at the moment. And so they'll get trained up in real-world situations. and, And the goal is that we're pumping out over 250 highly trained, job-ready students each year, ready to go into the technical workforce as the world moves towards advanced manufacturing. So it's a huge undertaking. It's a several hundred million dollar project that we've committed to the funding. And it's very, very exciting. And we're we're also in discussions with people in other countries about uh, replicating that.
1: Again, there's so many themes in that. What I just noted about that, I appreciate you sharing with us, is very few discussion, very little discussion on any of the products themselves, right? Strategies, right? Goals on sustainability, goals on increasing the workforce, right? Cause there's, you're right. I mean, if there's one thing that the world is missing right now, it's, it's diversity of countries having the ability to put their hands and make stuff, right? You know, put their hands on products and, and really manufacture. So democratizing the idea of manufacturing and, and setting up your business, your organization and your goals with those kind of key elements in mind sets the tone for what you can go accomplish. And that's very cool. Appreciate the uh, discussion.
0: What it does is it removes the product focus out of the equation. And uh, to your point, it almost doesn't matter what the product is because once you've got this kind of call it a machine, the, the, the operational engine behind this, where you helping to build businesses, you know, that allows us to have a very diverse portfolio from nutraceuticals through to construction products through to swimming pools, but it all has a product focus and it allows us to keep our options open so we can we can take on unique opportunities where we see huge, huge market opportunities.
2: Well, Chris McCauley, everybody in Venlo, revolutionizing the gap between education and, and actual products, advancing manufacturing capabilities in, in Australia and re-engineering the pool industry. It's a very diverse set of goals. But you know, having spoken to you and gotten to know you over the years, I, I know you guys are actually doing tangible stuff to to make all of that happen it's a very very cool story i appreciate you coming on and sharing so we're going to close out the the show today with the rapid fire question section these are the same five questions that we ask every guest and looking forward to your answers so what is the one habit that most contributes
0: to your success i'd say time management i'm anal about being punctual i love it it's a big thing that i've always stuck with i could probably count on two hands the number of times i've been late to a meeting ever and it's something uh, I believe in respecting people's time.
2: Dinner with three people, dead or alive?
0: Ooh, good question. I would say Steve Schwartzman, co-founder of Blackstone. I'm a big golfer, so I'd probably say like Jason Day, who's my favorite Australian golfer. And uh, probably someone like Ryan Reynolds. I feel like he'd be a good, a good time. You kind uh, of look uh, like it's Ryan a funny, Reynolds, it's a funny so I feel like you would look putting that out there. Uh, <laughs> for anyone who's watching this, I can, I can say that's unequivocally incorrect. <laughs> but... I have heard that a few times. Yeah. Uh,
2: you have $1 million to invest anywhere. Where would it be? Crypto. Love it. Yeah. What What is the top skill you look for in your team?
0: I would say emotional intelligence and the ability to, to work with people and attitude plays into that.
2: Back to your quote, harnessing human energy. I love that. And what are your competitors' greatest opportunities?
0: That's an interesting one. I would say their biggest opportunity is to listen to the market. You know, there's, there's lots of traditional companies doing traditional things that have been doing, you know, the same thing as long as they've been alive. You look at the pool industry. The first gunite pool was made in the 1940s. The first fiberglass pool was made in the, I think the 1950s. We're we're a four year old business today. That's that's on track to be the largest pool company in the world in the next 12 to 18 months. I would say just by
2: rethinking
0: Uh, what what works. Yeah. I mean, the, the world has moved on with, you know, advanced manufacturing, different ways of doing things, new technology, and so for big businesses, I would be listening to where the industry is really going.
1: Oh, I appreciate it. You kind of, you gave us the opportunity and gave the listeners the opportunity to, to to track your career a little bit from your day job to your side hustle, to exiting, to being a principal in a company that's literally trying to, to change the world. So thank you for your perspective. I, I know it. it'll be invaluable to the listeners uh, and uh, look forward to uh, continuing the conversation. So thank you.
2: And, and you're the first... Uh... The first Australian on our podcast, first
0: international,
2: first international. That's right. I should say.
0: So, hey, I'm a Texan now. (laughs) That's right. We'll get you a cowboy hat for Christmas. Yeah, Yeah. that's it. Okay,
2: great. So, everybody, if you if you like what you heard here, please visit us at growthtoexit.com and shieldslegal.com for more information. Follow us on all of our social media channels for relevant business content. And if you'd like to learn more about Chris McCauley and Venlo Investments, we'll include their website in the show notes. And feel free to reach out to me directly and I I can help route you through as needed. Thank you, everybody.
0: Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time.
1: Thanks for having you on, Chris.